That's on. I'm waiting for a few people to get on here. So. Hey, Mary, Glenda, Ivan, Linda. We have four, so we'll start. All right. Well, thanks for being here today. And everybody that will be listening to this and watching this later on, we appreciate you taking your time to view what uh, I'm learning and studying. Hi, Kay. Love you. Rita, love all of you guys. Uh, I'm wrapping up what I started last week uh, for just a few minutes, and then I'm going to go into this uh, the third chapter when I'm writing on the second volume uh, about thought. But we ended up talking about, we were uh, last week still talking about the divine mind. And one thing that I know for sure, anything that is, is apart from the divine mind, we could call that conflicting with abundant life. Jesus said he came not to bring life and life more abundantly, but he, Jesus came to reveal life and life more abundantly, that we can handle it, that we can enjoy it. If you have an abundant life, you want to be able to handle it, right? Just like if you have all the money that you ever think you'll ever need for the rest of your life in your banking account and your investments, then you want to handle it. You want to be able to spend it, enjoy it. And so if, and we do have abundant life, then really we haven't known how to handle that or how to cooperate with that. And so what happens, uh, we can eliminate those conflicting uh, thoughts by replacing them with mindful thoughts and mindful on our divine mind or by staying in constant contact with Father because Father speaks all the time. And so I would say to people that say I'm warring with thoughts and thoughts come against me and hinder me is refocus what you're listening to. Because particularly in this day and time, in the year 2020, you know, uh, we're so mindful of everything that's going on in our world. There's a lot of unrest in the world. And I think that's still part of the whole creation groaning. You know, there, there, within every person, there's this desire, maybe unbeknownst to them, but there's this desire to know Father, to know their Creator, to experience blissfulness, if you would, to experience the peace that came from living in the cool of the day that uh, the uh, book of Genesis talked about. And so basically we, we seek for that in all the wrong places. And the reason why is because there's a lot of places, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of systems that's trying to offer you their answer. And there is no permanence in that whatsoever. Uh, so when we know ourselves as being a son of God or a daughter of God or a father, we can express our eternal perfection and I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I think it's important to, to, for us to be aware of this. We can know something, but not yet understand it, right? I know a lot of stuff. I, I know electricity, but I don't quite understand it. I don't understand how that power comes through those cables and how it's generated and it gets to my home. I, I know all about my car. I know there's a motor in it. I know there's pistons in it. I know there's a transmission. I know there's an exhaust system, but for me to tell you I understand how it all works, I, I don't understand it. And so people that have understanding can really walk out of things and live out of things. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to just seek knowledge only. I don't want to just know something, but I also want to understand it. You know, because how many times do you hear people say, I don't understand the Bible? 
I know the Bible. I have a Bible. I've read the Bible. I've been taught many versions of the Bible, but I don't understand it. Right. And then I don't understand a God that would allow some people to live and some people to die. Well, you know about God, but you don't know God and then understand Father God. And again, you know I don't like to say the word God, but that's what people are used to. So one question so far in this teaching on the divine mind that I haven't answered yet is what does the word divine mean? You know, Donna might say it means her, or Norma might say it means me, or, you know, her, whatever. But <clears throat> when I meant me, I meant her. <clears throat> but I find it interesting that the rule of, uh, rule of first mention, when you want to find out what something means, you go to the very first mention of that word in the Bible. And that's found in Genesis 44, 15. <clears throat> and it's really interesting. You listen to this. The meaning of the word divine in Genesis 44:15 is nakash. Mm. Now, they use this word in divining something, like knowing something or trying to know something. But the divine mind is a, a knowing the mind of God. And so it's that word nakash, which means to diligently, diligently observe or to learn by experience. It does not mean serpent the way it was uh, translated originally in the Genesis story. It means to learn by one's own experience. And so if you follow my teachings over the years, you, you would again, you would think that that is that English word serpent. And you learn from your own experience. What happened is Adam, the first race of men, begin to learn from their own experience. They begin to learn from the five sense realm, if you would. And so what we want to do is we want to learn from our divine mind. We want to learn from the God speaking to our thoughts, which we're going to teach in a little while. And uh, Peter is the only writer who used the proper meaning for the word divine as it refers to Father, as it refers to us being in union with our Father and to have the very same mind as Father had. In 2 Peter 1, 3-4, it says, According to his divine power, hath given to us all things that pertain unto us, our manifest life and godliness, which is our spiritual life and physical life, through the, through the knowledge of our Father that hath named us glory and virtue. Father has really named us glory and virtue. We're his glory, and we have his virtue. But to enjoy this life and godliness, we have to have the knowledge of our Father. We have to know Father as our source, our Papa. One of my old books that I read said that, was talking about source and said Jesus named his source Papa. And our source is Papa. You know, uh, I have a family member that has depended on me a lot. I'm not that person's only source, but they literally could say my, my source when I get in trouble is my daddy, you know, because I help her and my mama and we help her. And so our real source is our Papa. And that's what the word Father actually means in the Old Testament when you look it up. Jesus didn't really say Father. He said my Papa. And boy, that really made the, I can see how that really made the Jews mad. You know, they, they called him God. They called Father Jehovah or whatever. But when Jesus came along, he said, he's my Papa. That's a very endearing term. And they didn't like it. And that's why they wanted him killed. So he said, verse 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious impartations. God imparted us with himself. And himself, there is no lack whatsoever, right? There is, 
Father, for all life that ever could be, Father is the source of that. So literally, He imparted Himself to us, and it says that by these you partake, you you partake of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through setting your conscious awareness on mindfully. In other words, we we have, in a sense, and these people did, where Peter talked to, they had their they were mindful of the corruption in the world. They were mindful of what's going on, and their conscious awareness was filled with that. And today there are so many people who are fearful in every generation. This is nothing new, what's going on. I mean, I was alive during the, the Vietnam War, and there were protests, and there were fires, and there were burnings. Maybe not as bad, but we are a lot larger society today. And we are, literally, our country is, is uh, many, many, many nations today compared to where they were in the 60s, right? right? I mean, I used to be able to go to an airport and uh, anywhere in the United States and the majority of people in there were, were born in America and they were not different races, different creeds, different belief systems. Pretty much everybody was the same in our understanding. But today, and, and it's fine, today we're all a, a very mixed race of people in the United States of America. And people bring their belief systems with them People bring their political systems with them, and they many of them come here, and they don't really want to absorb into our culture. They want to change our culture, and for some weird reason, they want to change it into what it was like when they ran from wherever they ran from life. You know, they, they want they, to bring the good, not the bad. Well, but no, some people want to change it. They bring their own flag. They want they want us to be just like their state they came from. They still want to bring that and 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 filter. That's why I put a post on there once. Oklahoma has a lot of jobs. We're a wonderful state. You're welcome to move here. Please don't change us to what you left if it wasn't a good thing. So, so I'm, what I'm talking about, though, there is that mindfulness today that is hindering us from being mindful of the things of our Father. You know, the Bible says to ask what you will and it shall be given to you. And the word ask means ascertain, seek, and desire to know a thing or to know a person. So if you want to know Father more, all you got to do is ask. Father, I want to know you more. You know, just like a father is a very intimate being, and father is a personal father to us. I've, I have other books that says God is not a personal God, and you can't know God. Well, that's bull. Why, why have a creator that I can't know? Why have a source that I can't know and tap into? So the word Peter used for divine is the New Testament 2304, and it's T-H-E-I-O-S, and it means godlike. The root word is theos, which is God, or again, godlike. So our divine mind is God-like, right? It's not just a little bit like God. It is God. We have the very mind of God because there is only one mind. There's only one power. There's only one source. There's only one body. So we could say the word divine is godly. And the word divine is of the nature of Father God, of Papa. And the divine idea of man by Father is functioning out of our God mind, ever-present, all-knowing mind, the absolute the central and an unlimited, omnipresent, all-wise, all-loving, all-powerful holy breath. That's what the divine mind is. Pretty powerful, isn't it? Not a whole lot more you can say about that. And so, you know, you could, you could, we look at the internet, and man, we, that is one powerful system. Uh, on the internet, there's hardly anything or any person or any, anything at all that's ever been connected to the internet or anybody's ever entered data on there that somebody can't find that. That's powerful. But the divine mind is much more powerful. The, the, the creator of the entire universe, that thought and, and then 
issued out of that thought an entire universe. That's pretty powerful. Yeah. And we're in tune with that mind. Much more than in tune with that internet. Amen. So we could say the word divine is godly. The word divine is ever-present. Father's thoughts are ever-present with you. Father's desire, Father's will for your life is ever-present for you. <clears throat> and as Kate Fairchild first taught in our books on living out of our spiritual resources, there is but one mind. Mm -hmm. And that mind cannot be separated. That mind cannot be divided. There's nothing can separate you from the love of God. And what is the love of God? Well, the love of God is he birthed us, really. You know, some people say the love of God is that he sent Jesus and Jesus died. Well, that was the love of Jesus. Jesus, it, Jesus loved the world so much that he gave his life. You know, the scripture tries to make it like God so loved the world that he gave his son. Well, that's penal substitution. It was actually Jesus, Elohim, Jesus, loved, uh, loved the people so much. They were suffering, they were hurting, they were under bondage to religious system, to the Mosaic law, and mistaken identity, and so he gave his life. And that's pretty powerful. That's, that's love. And so all that can be said of the divine mind is that it, it is absolute and that it is manifestation or in, in essence like itself. So literally, we are like itself, which is Father God. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's when we all keep mindful of our one mind, we will all be saying the same things and we'll all be doing the same things. Thinking. <coughs> yes, thinking the same thoughts. Oh, what a boring life that'll be. No, I don't, I'm not saying we're just going to walk around and be saying the same, but I'm saying when we teach, when we share, when Jesus, Jesus said, I, I don't, and you know, it's in two different places. Basically, he said, though, I don't do what I don't see my father do, and I don't say what I don't hear my father say. And that was present progressive. That was ongoing. So how could he do that? Because he stayed in contact, was always aware, always aware of the, the realm of spirit, if you would, and the, and the father. So <clears throat> then when we all keep mindful of this oneness, uh, there will be no more varying understandings of the living word. I do look for, forward to the day when you can go on the internet or you can walk into a, a teaching facility that we might call church, whatever it is, and you can hear the same thing from everyone else. Maybe a greater awareness, but nobody will be conflicting the other one. Nobody will be saying something completely opposite. It'll just be a more greater and greater awareness of that truth. And contrary to what one of my friends said, that that was impossible, it is not impossible because Jesus prayed and spoke and conversed with Father that we would all be as he was and we would all speak as he did. And I believe that's highly possible. We just have to have the want to. We, got, we have to become willing to lay down all that's not working lay down all those things that we thought were true that are really not not true whatsoever. And so John, in John 5, 19, said, and for I have spoken, I have not spoken, I don't mean said, I mean he recorded of Jesus, for I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me. He gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I can say this about me. And I'm sure a lot of ministers can, I hope. I know Kay's this way, but I know when the Father really uh, set me apart to do the work of my ministry, 
and at the ministry that I'm in, and he told me he was going to make me like a Jeremiah, and I reminded me to go back to Jeremiah 1 and read it. Father literally said, I will put the words in your mouth. Don't be afraid. You know, in a sense, I was told that because I was spoken into my thoughts that, that there would be people that I was to, he was giving me a word to speak, and there would be people that wouldn't like it, and don't be afraid and keep speaking it. In other words, I'll put the words in your mouth. And I can tell you it's taken place. And if you've ever followed me very much, for but you can tell that Father's given me things to say because this is not just my natural intellect, or I don't want to say natural because spirit is natural, but a physical kernel intellect. Well, one lady, a young lady wrote me the other day. She said, aren't you just reading what's in other books? And I said, no, I'm not. But I'm reading other books. I'm doing research. I really am. And I'm finding things that are unbelievable. And then as I find those things, Father directs me to Scripture to confirm it. Because I don't teach anything that Scripture does not confirm. I will never leave the Bible. I have left the translation, but I look at the Greek and the Hebrew, and I find out what confirms what I'm hearing. So I know the voice of Father tells us what to say, tells us what to speak, and, 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 and if, if we stay in contact with that mind. If I don't stay in contact with the God mind, and I get back into my memories of the past, and the way I thought it was, then I'm not going to be speaking the voice of God. I'll be speaking the voice of carnality or religiosity. So in all Jesus said, or all he did, he was like Father because he was the essence of Father. So are we, right? Jesus acted and co uh, in cooperation with Father and, cooper and cooperation with the divine mind. And that's one thing that we seem to ba battle with because there's so much stuff coming at us all the time. It's really hard to cooperate with the mind of peace, the mind of confidence. Very few people have a lot of confidence of a future today. There are people that are depressed with what's going on. You know, we, we, believed, uh, we believe that we've had to stay in our homes and go nowhere whatsoever. You know, and uh, I understand protecting ourselves and everything, but I'm telling you, it's, all, it's become, I almost think it was a test just to see how much we can be controlled by the government. And so there are people who are fearful. There are people who are anxious. I have friends that are very anxious and suffer anxiety. And I don't believe it just because of a sickness in their body. I think it's hastened with what's going on in the world today. Because if you're mindful of all that, you don't have a lot of hope for the future. But I do. I don't believe we're going under. I do not believe that. I don't believe the majority of people are believing the way fake news is telling us that, that they are whatsoever. And so Jesus... Well, you have preached in the past, though, that things were getting bad. Yes. So people would turn to the Lord. Right. And they're going to. Yeah. They're going to. Everything that Father, all of Father's ideal for this earth is coming to pass. And the, the reality of it is there. The glory of Father is there. The, all, the whole earth is filled with God's glory. Mm -hmm. But there has to come to end to all these systems so people will wake up. And this younger generation, probably going to take a while, but they are going to wake up. And God's glory is going to be seen all over this earth. So Jesus acted in cooperation with Father of the Divine Mind. He placed himself under the same creative law of spirit and life. Thus, that brought forth the ideal that Father had for them. Yeah. And that's what we want for Father. So <clears throat> I want to talk about thought in the, probably the next couple of lessons, maybe more. But I've pointed out many times that all the words in the Bible are English. Every Bible that you have, no matter what version it is, it's English. 
right? Because most of us, that's all we speak is English. Some people study the Aramaic and the, and the Greek and the Hebrew, and I do some. Uh, but when you read it, they really give you no real meaning to what the, the original conversation was. You, you can't look at names and see what Father really meant for them, you know, because names are important. And uh, <clears throat> many of the parents gave names, and uh, many were given names by messengers, you know, and that, that young lady, that young lady that was pregnant, and they were using her as a sign in the Old Testament that they were going to win a battle. And the messenger told her to name her child Emmanuel. Well, a lot of people thought that was Jesus, but it wasn't Jesus. Jesus wasn't named Emmanuel when he was born, right? And so it's important for us to discover these understandings that uh, that these names mean, these colors mean, and what they symbolize. And I believe what happened is when Western evangelical Christianity was exposed to these truths that we're sharing, they begin to call people heretics and they brand them with all kinds of uh, degrading names. And they did that in order to stop their followers from listening to them. And they didn't want to free them, make them free from what I call religious laws of bondage. Now, I believe the majority of people that teach religion teach laws. I, I don't really think they consciously are trying to put people under bondage, but I do believe they want to control the people and they want to keep them. Uh, like one of my friends said, well, without the law, they're going to sin. And so we got to preach the law to stop them from sinning. Well, that never stopped anybody from sinning. In fact, literally preaching a law is the force of missing the mark. It's going to always cause you to, to feel like you're just a sinner because you can never obey the law. I mean, if you literally came to me and told me, Roy, you can never have ice cream the rest of your life, and if you don't eat ice cream, you'll be righteous. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> I do. You're going to make me feel like a sinner because every time I want some ice cream, I've sinned. And so we want to made, be made free from these, these things. So one case in point was Jesus. Jesus' name was not Jesus. Jesus' name was not Jesus. Jesus is an English word, and it was not Jesus. I'm, and I've shared this with you guys before, but a lot of people forgot. But it's Isos. It's I-E-S-O-U-S. -E -E <laughs> Donna's freaking out. I-E-S-O-U-S. -E Write it down. I-E-S-O-U-S, and it's pronounced Isos, and that was the name that was given to Jesus. And it's pronounced J-E-S-O-U-S, which would be uh, Jesus in the Greek. And in the Hebrew, his name is Yeshua. But he was never called Jesus. That's an English name. So Jesus was never called Jesus during his time in Jerusalem and all the surrounding area. And he was called Isos, the one who remained in contact with the source Papa. You'll never remember that. It's okay to say Jesus. I'm not telling you not to say Jesus. But he never was named that. He, he was Yeshua. You know, I remember having a uh, Yeshua. Y-E-H-O-S-U-A. Y-E-H-O-S-H-U-A. 
I used to have a really not musical, if you remember, that I listened to all the time. I talked about Yeshua, and that was Jesus, what we call Jesus. So our source Papa was called, or you can say God, you can say Father, whatever. Jesus said Papa. Our source Papa was called I Exist, because where it says I am that I am, in the Hebrew it says I exist. And in the days of Moses and forward, so... I suppose Jesus was the promised Messiah to the Jews who would be the visible manifestation of I exist. But the truth is, everyone was the visible manifestation of I exist, but they did not project that manifestation out of them. They did not let their light shine, if you would. <clears throat> and so, when Jesus came, he was the only light of the world at that time. In other words, he was the only light that was shining. Everybody else was shining, but he was the only light. In my uh, hallway, there's a cabinet that we have light bulbs in there. But they have no light in them. They're not releasing light. But when we screw them into a socket and we connect them to the source, then they have the filament and they have everything in there that creates light. We do too, do we not? We are light. We Father is the Father of light. Light, so... So they were not able to see their light of Jesus or Isus, except for a few of them. Not everybody could see it, but a few of them could. Matthew recorded a time when Jesus dwelled in Capernaum. That was in Matthew 4.16. And there were people who sat in darkness. So what would darkness be? They sat in darkness. It wasn't nighttime, was it? Dark yes, dark knowledge, religiosity, mythology, paganism. They sat there. You know, and you can look at that word set in many places. It's like concrete. I mean, some of them just, have you ever met people that their belief system is like concrete? You can't break through. They're not going to change whatsoever. And so these people sat there in that religiosity, and then they saw great light, he said. So literally some of them saw Jesus as light. And of course, light also means understanding, but I also believe they saw his light of glory. And they sat there in that region and it said some were there which sat in the region and the shadow of death and again that's teachers of the law currently mindful teaching is death right it's no knowledge of god and then it says and the light i i saw jesus sprung up jesus finally at the age of 30 began to enter his ministry and he sprung up and the people began to see him they begin to see light. So at this point, Jesus began to teach the people and all who would hear him. Not everybody would hear him. <clears throat> the people wanted to. They really did. Remember, the Jocity kept hammering it down, kept threatening them. They were afraid of their leaders. You know, I know people who are afraid of their church leaders. They're afraid of their pastors. I know many associate pastors and elders that have heard truth and they... They just studied truth, and they're afraid to speak it because they're afraid of what happened to them. When I first started this teachings that I did years ago and was learning under Brother Garner and even learning under John Corson, which is taught the Bible, you know, not, not anything uh, contradictory to the word, but yet that pastor wasn't teaching that, and that pastor was jealous because people were enjoying it. So I literally became afraid sometimes to get up and speak something because I knew Monday morning I was going to get called in office. I had a time that I preached about Mephibosheth and I and Mephibosheth was put at the king's table and all the servants were ordered to bring him bread all the days of his life. He was crippled. Well, most of the church would have thrown him out. 
but he was he was treated like who he was and I said that means anybody can come and guess what I got called to the office I mean isn't that crazy but that happens all the time so not all people will hear so other than what Jesus did in his passion his teachings and his influence on the people he was there to reveal himself he was to reveal Father God he was to show himself the spiritual I exist life being a son of God he was here to show us what we were supposed to be like he was the truth he was the way he was the life not that you couldn't come to the father but by him but you at that point those people could not come to the knowledge of the father without him because he was the only one in their presence at that time that had understanding that could shine the light or would shine the light and he favored his source papa he looked like his source papa. He thought like his source papa. He, he spoke like his source papa. If you wanted to know father, you knew him. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen papa. So Jesus was an exact representation of our source papa's ideal for all mankind. How he lived his life with no sense of lack whatsoever. He dealt with other people's sense of lack, right? And he helped them. You know, Peter came and Peter was... Some of the disciples said, or the Pharisees said, does your master pay tithes? You, I mean, not tithe, the taxes and all that. And they, he wrongly said yes. You know, he didn't ask first. But Jesus knew where he's coming from. So he said, Peter, go fishing and you'll find a fish with a gold coin in his mouth and go pay the taxes. And what you go fishing for? I know. I'm still looking for mine. <laughs> so he... <clears throat> He, he never lived without as to who he was. He always knew who he was. And that's how he knew that is because in Luke 4, he settled those two questions. I am who my papa says I am, and I'm, I'm here to, to help the people. I'm here to help them raise their awareness. And then I'm also willing to enter into the judgment of the Jews and the Romans and let them kill me. And that's what he was there for. <clears throat> so he mastered the elements, Right? He, he uh, functioned as the greatest master comforter teacher there ever was on planet Earth. He saw right through man's frailties, how they presented themselves. He saw all people as righteous, all people as holy. He, the, the Jews said he, he ate with the sinners. Well, if he would have ate with them, he would have been eating with the sinners because they were all marked missing. They all had a mistaken identity. And he saw them perfect. As man was perfect in the mind of Father. So all of Jesus' faith was in the faith of his source, Papa. All of his faith. And that's where I want to put all my faith. I, I daily, now that I really learn that it's not my faith, it's the faith of the faith of Papa. I want to put my faith there. Because my Papa looks at me as perfect. My Papa looks at me and I'm the ideal that he created for man to be. <clears throat> so our faith should be the same way. So each person born of a woman has within them, I exist, just as Jesus did. Every person has within them, I exist. To know Papa the way Jesus did, we must look within to acknowledge and to comprehend our union with Father. We do that by meditation. We do that, you know, I even, I, I look in creation and I see my Father. I look funny my internet went away for a minute <clears throat> I'm not gonna say everything that happened was real sometimes we know that there were things that were not real but 
I've seen people experience a, a miracle. As a, as a young man, I watched a lady that was stricken with multiple sclerosis, and it was terrible. But, but she came and said, Father said, when you pray for me, I'm going to be healed. And she was. She never had it again. But then she ended up dying of horrible, horrible back pain and surgeries and things like that. So again, that's not permanent. So Father's desire and Jesus' desire was for permanence of life. Not, but see, the reason he had to heal people is because that's all they wanted. They were completely bankrupt, physically, mentally, socially, financially, religiously. They were bankrupt. And so he came to a very, very need-conscious society. And the problem is the church, Western evangelical Christianity, has promoted, come all you who are needy. Because it was always about needing something. That's how they could get you in. Because they knew that you were needy. You were needing for finances, for food, for mental health, for healing, for miracles, for relationship. All the social realm is basically a need conscious. And they never said, come so we can help you realize that you already have everything. Come so we can correct your mistaken identity. You know, I love it when I went to the Mayo Clinic. <clears throat> the relationship. When I went to the Mayo Clinic uh, a couple of years ago and then last year, my email is drroyrichmond at cox.net. And so, but I never wrote my name, Dr. Roy Richmond, you know. And uh, so every time they would call me to the back, they would say, Dr. Roy E. Richmond. And I would perk up. People would look around, you know. For some reason, we really admire doctors, and we should. They're very educated people. And most of them. And so when I would go in and uh, sit down with the doctors, and invariably, almost every time they would say, what kind of doctor are you? Because they'd seen my, because they would call me Dr. Roy Richmond. And I said, well, I work on people's brains. And they always perked up. And it just really impressed them. And they said, really? And I said, yes. What I do is I work on their mistaken identity and their ill thoughts about themselves and others. And then they would ask me more. And they said, well, that's cool. <laughs> you know? So I love that way that it opened, helped me to be able to speak to those doctors in the medical society. And still today it happens at other places. I walk in at Mercy Hospital and they call me doctor. And then they'll ask me the same thing. So each person born a woman, again, is literally has I exist in them. So my source and our source is from eternity. It's not a source that just came to us. It's not a source that I got when I got saved, Right? It's a source that I had from eternity. And I was with Father from eternity because I was in the mind of God. I mean, can you, everything that we see was in the mind of God before it was, was projected out and slowed down the visibility to where we could see it. And so when we know and understand, like I said earlier, there's one thing about knowing, but another thing about understanding. I know I have the, the mind of God in me. I know that I am perfect and holy. I'm, I know I'm a saint, as the Bible says. Jesus said, all are saints, but very few choose to live that life because they don't know. So I know I'm a saint. I know I'm a God. But it's hard to choose that life because we may not understand it. And that's what we're doing. We're going down a path of understanding. These things that we teach, and, and I, can, I can speak for Kate because I know she believes this. These aren't just brand new things that we're making up. They've been around for a long, long time. They, there's books out there and there's history that goes back hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of years. In the Middle East, before the United States ever became a country, 
there were people that knew real spiritual things, but Christianity, the religious leaders, disdained them and said, stay away from them. My uncle, you know, when I started telling him how I was teaching symbols and looking for symbolic meanings in the Bible, before I even knew anything, he said, oh, son, stay away from that. That's dangerous. Those things are dangerous. Well, yeah, they're dangerous to religiosity. They're, they're dangerous to the lie. You know, and I don't think he meant it that way. He just thought that they were dangerous. So when we know, and then when we understand, then we enter into perfect harmony with our Father. And that's what we want, right? Perfect harmony where we move with our Father. It's like a piano and a guitar. When, when they understand that they, they're, they're, the A is a little different than the A on the, on the guitar, but the A on the piano is perfect, then you just tune the guitar. And then when the piano, uh, somebody hits A, the string on the guitar vibrates or a violin vibrates. I used to play violin. And a lot of times when we would test our, at school, we would test and see if we really got it tuned, they would push A and it would vibrate. And so literally, I love that example because I want to vibrate with the energy that comes out of my father. I, and I, I, I experienced that many times because, and I'm sure many of you have, when I'm walking out in the world and there's somebody that, that I have a divine appointment with that I don't know about, there's some kind of vibration that takes place. There's a connection. We both begin to look at each other or both begin to, we, we end up getting direct to the same path. How many times have you ever gone to a grocery store and about every two or three minutes you pass the same person all the time? You ever had that happen? I do all the time. That may not be happenstance. There, there may be a reason that, you know, that the father's drawing the two together. So why not say hi? I just saw you on all three. Mm -hmm. You never know what kind of conversation would come up and then you find out that there's a need. Like that time at Walmart, I kept wanting to go down a certain aisle, but every time I, I was drawn to another aisle. I kept thinking, I need to go down that aisle. And I did, and lo and behold, was a woman that I decorated her whole house. I knew her very well, and she was drunk, and she was almost out of her mind, and she needed somebody to, to lift her up. If I had been stubborn and didn't listen to that vibration or that pull, then her divine appointment would have been missed, right? And many times we miss our divine appointments because we're too busy or we're not willing. So we want to be in harmony. Knowing is not something we're trying to make manifest. I'm not wanting to know these things so I will manifest. I already do manifest. So I want to know so I can allow the manifestation of I exist to flow and to function through me out of this world. Because we are presently manifesting as we move and live and have our being in the earth. But what we want to do, my son-in-law son says all the time, we want to enter into our higher self. There's a lower self and a higher self. The lower self is currently mindful. The higher self is spiritually mindful. So my conversations, and I fail at this sometimes, my reactions, I fail. My wife can tell you she lives with me. Sometimes I can get angry. Sometimes I can say things I shouldn't be saying. I wish I never would have. That is a lower false self. It's not my true self. It's a false self. But I seek to live constantly out of my higher self. Where what I say, what I hear, what I do, everything's guarded by the God mind. And so, as Jesus did, we have the power and the right of dominion within us. And it was all given to us by our Father from the foundation. I like this. Uh, I was reminded of this last night while I was writing. Jesus said, I am the door of the sheep. 
I am the door. By what I teach, if any man embraces what I teach, he will exist rescued from the due to be laws and can freely find a place of understanding. And there again, we need understanding. As long as you follow the law, the Mosaic law, as long as you sit in our ministry that's always telling you that you need to do something to become something, you will never find a place of understanding. And I say this boldly, and I'm not ashamed to say it. The majority of churches in the world that call themselves the church or Christianity or any other religions by, you know, many other religions, there's not a lot of understanding. There's a lot of knowledge, but sometimes it's dark knowledge. What I mean by dark knowledge is no understanding. It's religiosity. It's a knowledge of what I need to do to please God. And really, it's just to please them. Right? You, got, you need to line up with our religion. And that, that has to do with outward appearances and outward actions. If you drink, if you smoke, if you cuss, if you, if you, women, if you cut your hair and you wear makeup, and men, if you do this, I don't know what it is men couldn't do. <laughs> I guess we had to keep our hair short too. But literally, you're not lining up with our ideal. But you know what? I don't want your ideal. I want to be father's ideal. And I was never taught what father's ideal was. I was always taught what my religion's ideal was. Right? So... <clears throat> to where I was here okay so he, the I am Jesus said I am the door by what I teach if any man embraces what I teach he will exist rescued from the due to be laws and then John 10 9 Jesus went on to say in verse 10 the mosaic law came for one reason to steal your spiritual inheritance to kill your awareness of being one with father and destroy your way of life. Where it says the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Everybody thought that was a devil. That was the Mosaic law. The law is a thief. It will always rob you of life. Always. It will always make you feel like a sinner. And therefore it will always enforce a mistaken identity. And you will never go forth and manifest your life as a son or daughter of God. Correct? You always feel unworthy. Then he said, but I have come. The Mosaic law came, but it wasn't from Father. But he said, I am come that you might possess and handle your Zoe life, which is God life, and that you might do so with great abundance. It's so sad that he came to teach these things, and yet they couldn't, they wouldn't understand. They could, but they wouldn't. Even the disciples wouldn't understand because they were still with a need conscious, and they wanted Jesus to be the, a physical king where they can rule and reign with him. Right? right? And that's what most people do. So, verse 10, I am a good master, teacher, comforter, and I will give my life for you to stop the lie of doing to be law to become something you presently are, a son or a daughter of Papa. Laws are always trying to make you become something. Right? You'll be a better person if you obey this law. If you quit eating ice cream, you'll be a better person. Right? And you never can quit. So sheep symbolize thoughts in the Bible. Sheep always symbolize thoughts. And Jesus was there to correct people's thoughts. That's what my ministry is. I know that's what Kay's ministry is. I know other people 
I don't know that there's a whole lot out there yet that are going down this pathway yet or up this pathway, but our ministry is not to get you saved, not to get you well, not to get you more riches and everything else that the church used to teach that you could get. Our ministry is to correct your thoughts. And so what we do, we correct our thoughts and therefore we share with you the truthful thought that will make you free. The truthful word, the living word that will make you free. So he was giving spiritual illumination to all who would hear him. So they could grasp what he said and spiritually apply these things individually and corporately. Just because they did not understand does not mean that we can't understand. We can. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the light, he was not pointing to a place for us to go, but he was speaking of spiritual illumination. I am the only one in your life at this time, speaking of him, that can help you and illuminate you with the truth of the word. But yet, again, they were so bankrupt, they would not receive. He wanted to show them how to apply the law of spirit and life. Remember, we're not under the law of sin and death. We're under the law of spirit and life. But it's one thing to know that, but another thing to understand that. And sadly, the ability of the people to see what Jesus was there for was hindered by this great sense of lack. They came to him for food. They came to him for healing. They came to him for miracles and all kinds of stuff. And the effects of that sense kept them chained to the law of religiosity and came from that, right? So it's a need conscious. And again, why did most of us go to church unless we were raised there? I was raised there. I was born in church, if you would. But most people that came to church came because of a need. They lived out of a sense of lack. You know, I need help with something that happened in my life. I don't have peace. Uh, my finances are terrible. I, I have mental problems. You know, I've been abused. Uh, uh, I heard your sermon and be, I'm an alcoholic, I'm a sinner, I need to get saved. The list could go on and on. But it was always on a sense of need and that's proof that they're changing the religiosity. Religiosity always produces fear. Always. And fear causes a person to live in bondage. Just like the five systems of this earth, they promote without, uh, uh, without them, you are liable to die. Right? right? There's a whole political system that's pretty much go with... Huh? Can't go to hell. Yeah. Well, that's religion. Religion. You're going to die and go to hell. But, but the political system promotes without them, you're going to die, you're going to perish, you're not going to have enough, right? Mm -hmm. And the, the rich people are going to just be wonderful, but you're all going to die. And then the, the medical system uh, promotes, that, uh, promotes that without you, without them, without their medicine, you're going to die, right? Mm -hmm. And every system on the earth is the same way. The financial industry promotes without them, you're going to die. In other words... You're going to be mortal, and you're not going to have enough money, and you're going to lack and all that. So you need another loan. It's all the same way. So in Acts chapter 3. So that shows you right there how important it is to realize that you don't lack. You don't lack anything. That God has provided everything. Right. That, yeah. And you don't have to see it to enjoy it. That's the problem. We think we have to see the physical manifestation of money mm -hmm. to make it tomorrow. And the truth is you don't. 
I know it for a fact. I'm an example of that because Father told me if I'd give up my talent and my abilities and all that and trust him, I would never lack for finances the rest of my life. And I did, and we did, and we never have lacked. You know, I'm retired now, and a lot of people that were forced to go into retirement like I was, and I'm not able to go out and make a sale and make more money when I want to, you'd think, oh boy, they're in trouble, they're in trouble. No, a year from now, I'll still be fine. 10 years from now, we'll have all the finances that we that is required for day-to-day -day living. It will just be there because we're in, in contact with Papa, our source, right? And so again, in Acts chapter three, we find the story where Peter and John went together to the temple. And scripture says it was the ninth hour. So they had these certain times to go pray. And there was a lame man there who was lame from his mother's womb. Now, what does the mother represent a lot of times in the Bible? The church, right? Religion. right. Mephibosheth was dropped by his nursemaid and crippled. She represents religiosity. Religiosity dropped us. They didn't lift us up. They kept us down. And we became crippled. So there was this lame man there. And daily they carried him to the temple, which is called uh, 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 the temple gate, which is called beautiful. And they would set him there to beg for money for finances. As the people entered into the temple, that would happen. I kind of think that picture is a little bit of people today that they come to the church lame and they're begging for something. They're begging God for something, right? Mm -hmm. Pleading for something. In other words, we're, I'm not able to walk in everything that you, you, you said I am and, and live as who I'm supposed to be. So I'm always begging God for something. If I could just get this one prayer answered, it would change my life. I'll never forget the day I was, and I see myself kneeling down at full gospel assembly on the front row chair, begging God just to touch me one time. Just, I wanted to experience God. You want to feel it. You want to feel it. Yeah, I wanted the feeling, not knowing that. I'm one with Father, you know. So the story goes on uh, that Peter fixed his eyes on him and told him to get up and walk as Jesus would have done. You know, said in the name of Jesus Christ. Like, so we think we have to, everything we do, we have to say in the name of Jesus Christ. No, we, we do it as Jesus did. Jesus did it with all power and authority, did he not? He had all power. He had dominion. And he would say, rise up, take your bed and walk. And so he got up and he walked. And that's a great story. But the gate called Beautiful bears a symbolic name, meaning belonging to the right hour, season, or time. That's what it means. Belonging to the right hour, season, or time. In the Greek, it would be horaios, and it was the way into the temple, which was supposed to open to a spiritual illumination. When you go to a temple, I mean, it should be spiritual illumination. It shouldn't make you feel worse than you did when you came in. It shouldn't be a place that they're trying to fix you or whatever. All these places called churches or Buddhist temples or synagogues or whatever you want to call them, they should be places of higher awareness and learning. And there are some, there really are, but the church kicked them out. The church rejected them. And so they leave what... They leave a lot out. But then there are some of them that are really teaching truth that we need to understand. So, you I... Go home being built up. Yes, you should. So, get this right here. I believe each of us have our, only right, our own right hour, season, and time. 
Each one of us have had a mandate in our life or a divine appointment that we were exposed. Not everybody has yet, but where we are exposed to spiritual illumination. And if we do not embrace, embrace that spiritual illumination being shined upon us, then we will not go on to experience our higher self, who we really are. We will not go on to experience being a son of God or a daughter of God while living in our body. Once a person was enlightened and experienced their oneness with Father and partook of this divine understanding, and then they go back to the old religious ways, the Bible says it's impossible to renew them to repentance. In other words, they won't come back. Once you've tasted and seen the goodness of God, the real goodness of God, and the real goodness that Jesus came, and then you go back to religiosity, you won't come back. It's impossible. And I have to tell you, I have seen that many times in ministry where people have come and they fed on truth and they begin to miss the music, they begin to miss the signs and wonders, begin to miss the revivals and the crying. And I'm not against crying, but the crying and begging and pleading and they go back, they will not come back. I've talked to many of them and I've talked, you gotta hear what we're saying. There's no interest. I can send you a book. I don't have time to read the book. I, I'm on the internet. Just watch. I, I don't have time. What? I don't understand why it's not enough. Um, why do you have to have all of these outward Signs and wonders. Yeah. It's because of the many, many years of, of it being indoctrinated inside. It's in our subconsciousness. It's just like Paul in the law. You know, once he had this experience with Jesus out in the desert for three years, and he met the Essenes, which were spiritual teachers, and they taught him. But when he came back and began to minister, he still had this tendency for the law because he said, he said, when I would do good, I do evil, which means bad. And then he would say, because there's sin in my members. Well, the law is a sin. The law is mark missing, right? So he was still saying, I'm still, I'm still drawn by the law. I want to mix the law with the, with the love of God. And then that's when he said, Father, deliver me from this. And Father said, my grace is sufficient. In other words, my spirit, my holy breath, my, my, my uh, divine mind in you is sufficient. Draw from that and you'll be okay. And, and he did. You know, so it's the same thing. But they don't, they don't get to the place where they ask God to free them from that. Because it's familiar. And it's the crowd. I miss the crowd. Don't you think it's comforting for people? Yes. And also, they don't. I don't think they still feel righteous and holy yet, and so they still think they need to get back into that do to be. You didn't have a good service unless you cried for an hour, right? And prayed for an hour. And I'm not mocking it at all. I'm not mocking it. I'm just saying that's why, because we were conditioned. That's one reason I love to get people that never went to church. But they had that. But they're beginning to be sensitive to the things of the spirit of God's breath because there's they, they're open. And so, <clears throat> let me see where I was at. <clears throat> okay, so we all have our right hour, our season, and our time. And it's just like what we said. Uh, they desire signs and wonders more than that which produces spiritual growth. 
many people do not want to take responsibility and realize they need to grow spiritually. They need to grow in understanding. Jesus said this, except you see signs and wonders, you will not put trust in what I have come to teach you. And I've had people say this over the years. Well, the proof of if you're successful is you have a crowd. That's a bunch of malarkey, as my dad would say. It's a bunch of bull. It's not true. Jesus must have been a horrible failure then because when he was at the very end, he was all by himself. His disciples went and hid. Peter denied him. He had over a thousand disciples following him. When he began to teach spiritual truth, he said, I am the bread of life. You must feed of me. In other words, what I'm teaching you, you must eat of what I'm... They, they, they thought he was talking about cannibalism, and they all left him. All right? So there's your answer. You, you want signs and wonders. You, you want to come to fellowship where it's fun. And man, we, we shouted and we hollered. And the preacher didn't even get to preach. What a wonderful service. How many times have we heard Jesus that? Huh? Yeah, when he was feeding them, he had a crowd. When he was doing signs and wonders and, he, and people's faith was making them whole, he had a crowd. But when he began to try to teach, they went away. You know, so I'm, I'm not alone in this, you know. And I have a lot of minister friends, that several that I'm counseling with right now, that are really hurting because they've lost their churches. They've lost their crowds. Then I keep reminding them, the same thing happened to Jesus. If you're really called to do what you do, then just... The Lord will strengthen you and walk you through it. And you've got to know your calling. If you weren't called to do that, then don't. Go find a job somewhere. Or go find something else that you love because not everybody has to be a preacher. Not everybody has to be a teacher. But everybody needs to be equipped so they can help their world, as Pastor Butch says. So basically what he said, it is a bad and a restless generation who seeks signs. Restless. They have not entered into the rest of God. And again, I've seen that happen many times. They refuse to come hear what is presently being revealed because they love the old ways of carnality, doing to be laws and excitement of the signs and wonders and all that. So the lame man symbolizes a disabled thought, a disabled thought and been inactive for a long time. Disabled thought and been active for a long time. When I repeat that, I mean, take a note, right? <laughs> So Peter took his hand and raised him up as a picture of us helping people rise up to their higher self, rise up to their higher and a higher awareness of who they are by living out of their, out of their divine mind. So when people communicate his or her divine mind, I can communicate my divine mind, right? By helping people rise up to our higher self, if you would, then we bring forth the qualities and the character and the nature of our Father and our quality and nature and character out of us. And literally, it's the nature of living in Eden, the cool of the day, the Ruach, the holy breath of God, living as the holy breath of God. The garden symbolizes the soul of man. We want to return to the garden. It's not a physical garden. If you want a garden, this earth is a garden. This earth is beautiful. And we need to celebrate this earth because this is what Father God gave us. But he intended for man to live and move and have their being out of their spirit, out of their connection with God, and to tend the earth and to bless the earth. And so <clears throat> this garden represents our thoughts. Our thoughts should be all the ideals of our Father. Our garden could be, you know, our, our conscious awareness can be our womb. And whatever you bring into your womb it's going to project out, right? 
if you're healthy, it'll project out. So I want to bring into my, my subconsciousness, into my awareness, the living word, and then project out the living word in everything I do or say or whatever. So we no longer have to till the ground of carnality. Because that was work, right? Yeah. It was laboring. And we now function out of the wisdom and love within us, and we're joined together with our source Papa. And what Father is joined together, let no longer let religiosity put it asunder. Because that's what religion did. They put it asunder. They very much would not let you know that you were one with God at all. So the majority of people who grew up with teachings of religiosity are weak like the lame man of Acts chapter 3. Not able to walk, and they're brought to church on Sunday and Wednesday. They're pulled there by a sense of need, and they beg, and they beg, and they beg. Please, somebody help me. Please, somebody free me. Please, God, free me from this. Because nobody wants carnality, unless they're just literally insane. Nobody wants to be a liar, or a thief, or a murderer, or, or a gossiper. Nobody really wants that. And secretly, they're praying. You know, we come looking beautiful, right? We come look like Christians, but when we get down to the altar, we're opening ourselves up because we know Father knows us. And Father, when are you going to deliver me? When? And then religiosity has nothing to offer you but works. I love how Brother Garner said this. When somebody wants to minister to you, look and see what they have in their hands. And if it's not the bread and wine of the true gospel, then run because they're just going to make you worse. Really? They're going to make you worse. Religious people can be some of the meanest, vicious people in the world. Religious-minded people. Very judgmental. And that's what religion did to them. And so, we all were not able to walk at one time or another on the highway of holiness, as you find in Isaiah 35. According to Moses' writing, a person could not serve as a priest, and this is so funny, you know, I taught it years ago. I have to look it up. But if they were blind, they couldn't serve as a priest. Well, basically that means you have no understanding. You can't see. You look in the Bible, it makes no sense whatsoever. You can't see a person righteous or holy. And then where we're at today is lame. They can't walk. They can't walk on that highway of holiness. They can't walk in the cool of the day because they're not able to. And then they had a flat nose. You could, if you had a flat nose, I guess that may have been hit a lot. But if it says if you had a flat nose, I would think that has to do with discernment. You're just not able to discern. A broken foot or a hand, a crooked back. Don and I have a crooked back. <laughs> Mine goes like this. You know, I couldn't serve. A dwarf. So if you're short, you can't be a priest. I guess they couldn't reach the table. I don't know what that meant. Kay can tell us later probably. A blemish in an eye. What would be a blemish in an eye? How you see people. You know, Jesus said you judge this person for a splinter and you got a log in your eye, using a, pr a principle there. Mm -hmm. Had scurvy, scabbed, or had a stone broken. I don't know what that is. One of these days we'll explain those things. <laughs> but for now, we'll stick with lameness as disabled thoughts. Aaron was three years younger than his brother Moses. Moses was called to deliver the children of Israel. And Moses was to go speak to the, the, the Pharaoh, but Moses didn't think he could speak very well. He was still going on his own efforts because if God said you can do something, you can do it, right? If, if Father tells me to do something, I should never have a thought that, oh, I can't do that. If Father says to do it, Father knows you can do it, correct? 
because it's within you to do it. And so he asked for Aaron to help him. So he besought Father to do that, and Father did. And Aaron, which is Aaron in Hebrew, means illumed. Illumed means enlightener and mountaineer, very lofty. His name and his priestly ministry symbolizes executive power of the divine life or the divine mind or of spirit, of life. And uh, liturgy is that life that was manifested through Jesus as he stayed in contact with Father. And so him being willing to make a calf to bow down signifies false states of thoughts. He allowed people... Moses allowed people to come with them, which were the Egyptians, which were in, ingrained in mythology, mythology and, and uh, paganism, all kinds. He allowed those thoughts to come into the camp, if you would, mm -hmm. right? And he began to fear because Moses didn't come down yet, and they wanted some kind of god to worship. So he, uh, he built that calf for them, and so that builds up in their consciousness, and it, it hinders truth. And it carries no spiritual purpose and no ideals, right? But his, his intention was to be a, a light, a spiritual truth with God's ideals that those could be implemented in the people. He only chose to allow his thoughts to operate in a lower plane consciousness. We do that. I do that. Everybody does that. One way or another, we make a choice on a day-to-day -day basis, and sometimes we choose to lower ourselves to a lower, con lower consciousness. One of it is you just turn on the news, right? You may not agree with the news, but it can make you mad, make you get upset, right? It does. Yeah. So we've all been in this state at one time or another. In Exodus 40, 23, I've only got a couple, two more pages and I'll be done. But we find an event that was to spiritually strengthen Aaron and function uh, fun, to be able to function out of his higher true self. See, all this happened, the, the calf and everything, on their journey. But then they come in, they begin to establish the temple and everything. And it said in Exodus 40, 12, 13, uh, it said, And thou shalt bring Aaron and his sons unto the door. Now, what does the door represent? Jesus. No, but what does the door actually represent? Understanding, Right. Jesus said, I am the door. I am the understanding. Jesus wasn't the way to get to God. we got to understand that. People always say, well, you can't get to God unless you get saved, unless you confess Jesus as Lord of your life. Well, Jesus isn't here with me right now. The same mind that was in Jesus is with me. But Jesus is somewhere else. I don't know where he is. He could be over in Chicago. He could be in Ohio. He could be in China. He could be somewhere because he, he, he picked his body up and left. So he still has his body. I believe that with all my heart. And so the door is understanding of the tabernacle. We are the tabernacle of God, right? So, so the tabernacle and congregation, and wash them with water. What does water represent? The word. But what kind of word? word. The living word, not the written word. Because we've all been washed with a written word. We have been made unclean, if you would, with the written word because people take it literal. If you believe in a literal word, then you're always trying to get right with God all the time because every time you, quote, sin, you have to go ask Jesus to forgive you, right? And then it says, thou shalt put upon Aaron the holy garments. Did not Paul always talk about put on? 
He always said, put on, take off. He never said, take off, put on, right? Because religiosity says, take off, and then you can put on. In other words, quit this, quit that, quit that, and then you can put on righteousness. No, Paul says, put on, and all that stuff will go away. So it says, thou shalt put upon Aaron the holy garments and anoint him. And that word anoint literally means consecrate. When somebody says somebody's anointed because they make you feel good, that's not anointed. That's just charismatic. That's just the ability to get people excited. Anointed means you've seen something. The very first mention of anoint is found when David was anointed with a horn of oil. And in the Old Testament, the priests had to see something in order to be qualified. So it's not so much that I know it as I see it, right? Mm -hmm. I know some things that I haven't seen. I know that there are atoms, right, in the air that cause things, but I've never seen one. But boy, if you see it, wouldn't it affect you? Many people know about the Grand Canyon, but they've never seen it. They've seen pictures of the Grand Canyon, but that ain't the Grand Canyon. Don and I have been there twice. You've been there, haven't you? When you see the Grand Cap, when you see it, there's more than just knowing about it. You've seen it, and it changes your life forever. I've seen Hawaii. It's changed my life. I've seen the Caribbean. My first time to go on a cruise, oh, my God. I, I heard about the ocean. I saw pictures of the ocean. But when I saw the ocean, it riveted me. The blue and the green and just, it's awesome. I still can see it to this day. It changed my life. And so there needs to be this consecration when you see something. And then it says, sanctify him. In other words, set him apart that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. So in this event, Aaron and his son symbolize spiritual strength, which becomes the controlling, the mandate, and the power of a new state of awareness. They were to come out of all that paganism and all that religiosity, and they were to be entrusted with the oracles of God and teach the truth. So through spiritual strength, there's an abiding thought action that contributes to building up the holy temple. We need to be built up in our most holy holy place of faith, and built up in the faith of God, if you were, where we can contribute to the building of the temple and all people. So bringing Aaron and his sons to the door of the tent and the meeting and the washing with water means that we should declare spiritual, spiritual strength. It needs to be the presiding power over our consciousness. So I believe we should declare that constantly. It's an it's a, a affirmation that we confirm that my controlling part of my being is my God mind. It's my divine mind that God controls me. My thoughts are God thoughts, right? And we, we profess those things over and over and over. And that's that meeting, if you would, at the tent. And, and so the fact that we are awakening and we have awakened. And I constantly do that. For, I sit in my office all the time and said, Father, I declare that I'm an awakened one. I declare that the thoughts I'm hearing are your thoughts. I declare that as I study that I've been led and guided down this path of righteousness all through Scripture. And I declare that I can see all things that's going to bring people help. And so it's vital that we declare our thoughts. We declare our body and our entire being that our strength comes from within, not without. Right? Our health. God is my health. And so when we consistently declare our strength, the spiritual strength, and it comes from within, then our thoughts will be able to abide in the cool of the day. Our, our, we will be able to walk with Father day to day and as Father because Father is inside of us. No matter what's going on out there, our inward thoughts is what's controlling us. 
And there again, we have to pay attention to what we're thinking, pay attention to what we're saying and declaring and speaking. We must never say this world's going to fall apart. We must never say it's the end of the United States or the end of China or the end of anywhere. It's not the end. God's created this earth to be inhabited forever, and it will be always inhabited with people. So Jesus ex exemplified his answer to these facts in his daily life. No matter what was going on around him or others, his awareness was constantly in contact with the Father. We have that contact. All we need to do is practice that contact. And we need to be aware of our thoughts. And when it's something that's not, we know it's not from Father, then we cast that vein of imagination down by saying that's not the truth. The truth is this whole earth is filled with God's glory. The truth is that I'm, I, I lack nothing. The truth is that I am not mortal. I'm not worried about dying all the time, liable to die, liable to have, to, uh, to have lack one way or another. So in the Bible, in closing, there are seven references of Jesus telling the people to take no thought. Seven references. What is seven? Divine intervention, perfection, and maturity. When you're, when you're worried, you're not very mature spiritually, right? When you're worried. When you're anxious, you're not functioning out of your spirit. When you have anxiety, you're not functioning out of your spirit. This is not to condemn people. It's just we get, what's wrong with you? Well, I'm, I guess I'm not functioning out of my spirit. I need to look within instead of without. So he said, take no thought for your life. Take no thought for what you shall eat or drink. Take no thought for your body, what you shall put on for tomorrow, or how you will speak when required to speak. The spirit speaks in you and through you. There is an enemy out there trying to control our thoughts. It's the system of the earth. It's news media. It's the internet. It's Facebook. It's Twitter. All these other things. They're, they're, they're trying to control your thoughts. I watched a Netflix a, a video about social media. And Facebook knows how to direct you wherever they want to direct you. They watch. They know. They don't know you particularly by name, I don't think. But they know you're who you are. They know... They know what you like to look at. They know how to affect your emotions, to bring you up or down. It's, it's, an, out, it's an algorithm, it's artificial intelligence that does all this. And uh, like YouTube, our children love to watch YouTube. The children today, they watch YouTube. And there's always next, watch this one next. And they begin to lead you to where they want you to, where literally they can shape your belief systems. My grandkids, particularly the two of them that we connect to a lot here, their belief systems have been shaped completely contrary to what they've been raised to believe. And you can tell them all you want and they, they don't want to change. They like it, right? And so are thoughts important? Yes. If Father speaks to our thoughts, then anything else that's speaking to our thoughts is anti-Papa, right? It's anti-truth. So. Seven times Jesus said, take no thought. And seven is the biblical number, again, for perfection, spiritual maturity, and divine intervention. The phrase, take no thought, as it is written in the Greek, is merimao, and it means to be anxious. And it's actually just take thought. That's what it put. It didn't say, it says not take thought in there. So take thought means to be anxious and a further meaning to be anxious by distractions. So what can make you anxious? 
only distractions, right? Yeah. Carnal distractions. It can be sickness. It can be, I don't have enough money. I'm facing losing my job. The world's coming to an end. You know, we know people that have listened to us for years. And Butch knows people that have listened to him for years and taught the truth of a rapture doctrine, that it's a lie, a religiosity. And they're literally saying uh, the, the seven-year tribulation is about to come. They're, they're going back, and they're becoming anxious. And so Jesus was instructing the people and all who would hear his words in the future to return to putting our life in the face of our faith of our source papa. The first race of humanity let their constant contact with Father wane by listening to teachers of the knowledge of good and evil, listening to gloom and doom, whether it be religion, politics, medical, financial, social, all of it does the same thing. Once they believe the lie of separation, once they believe that they are liable to die in any area of life, whatever it is, lose money or whatever, they saw the lie in themselves and they said, we are naked. I could say we are naked could be saying, I'm sick, I'm diseased, I don't have enough money, I don't have a husband, I don't have a wife, I don't have a boyfriend, I don't have a girlfriend. Whatever it is we say I don't have, we're saying if I had that, I would have more peace, right? So we're denying our God life, if you would. We're denying that Father God is our peace, and more importantly, God is our perfection. And so everything we say we lack means we're not perfect, we're not whole. Because if you're perfect, you don't lack anything whatsoever. I did, me and Norma are doing some paintings. It's called flow art or whatever. Uh, paint pouring. Paint pouring. pouring. Yeah, and I just love it. And I did one the other day for my grandson's school. They wanted one. And so I did one, and I was so proud of it. It was just perfect. And I told my grandson not to touch it because it needs to dry. What did he do? He walked in because I shouldn't have said don't touch it because you tell him don't do something, he's going to do it. He walked in and just ran his fingers across it supposedly to see if it was wet. It's no longer perfect. I tried to fix it. The more I tried to fix it, the uglier it got. So I just started all over and put all new paint on it. And it's nothing like the first one, though, at all. And man has taken what God has joined together and, try, and divided us asunder and tried to fix us, cut our hair, put the makeup on. But more than that, they've, they've changed our conscious awareness, if you would, and made us look to ourselves that we're not perfect. And the more you set on the religiosity, the less perfect you're going to see yourself. And Jesus came to show us that we are perfect. And he said, don't be anxious. Don't, be, don't, don't, don't get involved in things that are distractions, that produces religiosity and more carnality. They saw the lie in themselves. They said, we're naked. Then they became anxious. And then what did they do? They hid from God, right? Hid from Father. And then they sought to cover themselves with fig leaves. And what are fig leaves? It symbolizes religiosity. The fig tree that Jesus looked for fruit and there was no fruit was Israel. And their religion produced no fruit whatsoever. The Mosaic Law was not Father. The Ten Commandments was not from Father. Saying go kill other nations was not from Father. It all came from Moses being infiltrated with religiosity and paganism. And he tried to make God like one of their false gods. That's how he saw God. Like one of their false gods. And that's how most of the world does too. I was talking to my granddaughter in... Uh, 
in Florida the other day, and I told her I was talking to your daddy because his dad, you know, they think people think they're atheists or whatever years ago, and they've raised them the same way. And I said, I told your dad not too long ago that I'm an atheist, and she said, Oh, you are? And I said, Yeah. I said, I don't believe in the God that I was raised to believe in, but I do believe in God. I believe we have a source. I believe, like Jesus called the source Papa. And I believe our source is real. I believe our source is our Father and our Creator. And I believe it's a person. We can have a personal relationship with our source, Papa. And she, she kind of liked it. She kind of thought that was cool. But I said, the God that the Bible teaches, the way the Bible was translated, that's not God. That's a version of God. So a word for the year 2020. Take no thought and don't be anxious for your life. For your Father is in you. Your Father will always be in you. And you are perfect and you lack nothing whatsoever. Amen? Amen. So I hope you enjoyed that. Thank you guys for being with me. Hi, Mary. Uh, it's always a great help to know there are people out here feeding from our ministry. And we just enjoy giving out and hope that you are apprehending what's been taught. And that you're able to take this and make it conform to your life. And you become a blessing to all the people in your world. So. Bless you very much. We love you all. Thank you. Hi, Marcia.